the political implications of a historic indictment. This is going to destroy America. The indictment, I have no comment on that. The nation is at a political and criminal crossroads after Should former President Donald Trump is indicted, making history. Plus, children are dying! I know, I've got Nine-year-old children! The solution is not arming teachers. Democrats and Republicans' debate over guns erupts in the halls of Congress after another deadly elementary school shooting. Next. This is Washington Week. Good evening and welcome to Washington Week. I'm Lisa Desjardins. For the nation, another test of our institutions and politics, as Donald Trump is now the first former U.S. president to face criminal charges. Following an investigation by Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, a grand jury voted to indict the former president for a hush money payment related to an alleged affair. To state the obvious, it's an unprecedented moment for the country. Right now, Trump is the leading GOP candidate for the 2024 presidential nomination. He responded to the indictment with speed and flared text on his Truth Social platform, writing, This is an attack on our country, and it is likewise a continuing attack on our once free and fair elections. Republicans rushed to his defense. The unprecedented indictment of a former president for a campaign finance issue is an outrage. My father's only crime was winning the 2016 election. This is third world tactics. Democrats have stressed that no one is above the law, but otherwise they're cautious. Here's President Biden this morning. I'm not going to talk about Trump's indictment. Saying he's not going to talk about the indictment. Joining me to talk about the indictment and more are Luke Broadwater, a congressional reporter for The New York Times, Domenico Montanaro, senior political editor at NPR, Ashley Parker, senior national political correspondent for The Washington Post, and Mario Parker, no relation, national politics editor at Bloomberg News, an illustrious panel and just right for this week. So happy you could join us. Ashley, you know Trump word well. Your reporting is that this was a surprise, yes? It was and was not a surprise. It is something that they had been preparing for for a long time. It was something that the former president was simultaneously resigned to in moments, but also sort of believed he could wish away uh, with vociferous truth socialing and magical thinking. And they were certainly not prepared for when it landed, even though they had sort of broad plans and lines of attack laid out. Um, some of Trump's lawyers were so uh, believing that it was going to come in a couple weeks later, if at all, that they were preparing to take days off. So when it actually came on Thursday, they were very surprised. And the mindset now in Trump world is? So Trump himself, and this is a very familiar playbook for him, but he is now at the point of defiance. And in reporting today, you know, he's been privately musing about what that arraignment will look like on Tuesday, what a potential perp walk could look like, what a mugshot could look like. And he, he wants to convey a, a defiant posture, a they're, they're coming after me, but really they're coming after you. Um, and so he is now, uh, he was not happy to be indicted, to be clear, um, but he is now angry and determined to use it uh, for what he believes could be political leverage. Mara, you covered Trump as well. I want to talk about this moment in history and that arraignment next week. What should we expect? What do we know about what's going to happen and what how the Trump attorneys are going to react? Yeah, well, we know so far that the Trump attorneys are going to plead not guilty. We know that he'll fly to New York on Monday morning. Uh, he'll stay at Trump Tower overnight as well. That he's already, as kind of what Ashley said, he's already, this is a, 
this is an unprecedented time, but this is a comfort zone for him. He's mm -hmm. comfortable being combative, right? The questions about his 2024 candidacy were, candidacy were about whether he could look forward. Now he has a reason to look backward and get into that defensive posture where he's saying, they're coming after you. Here's another witch hunt. Here's another investigation. And I'm fighting on behalf of my supporters. And you're seeing that play out in polls as well. We're hearing these strange terms together, guys. Comfort zone for the president, but unprecedented for the country. <laughs> Luke, I want to ask you, there's a lot of talk about, is this a demarcation line for this country? Do you see it that way? And if so, how? For what? Well, it, it, it is unprecedented. I'm, I'm not sure it is going to change the republic forever. I, you know, America's been through a lot. And I'd like to point out, we, we have had a president who was arrested before. <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt was arrested for speeding on his on his horse back And you're in the not day. joking, that's no, true. No, that, that is true history. So <laughs> now, now, we've never had one indicted before, but the country's been through big things before, and I, you know, I do not think this is gonna end the republic or anything like that. We're seeing a lot of ap um, apocalyptic language come out of the right about this, about how we're a banana republic now, and you know, th there should be big protests in the streets. And I know the, the New York Police Department is, is getting ready with extra precautions uh, for any such protests. But, you know, we've been through a lot as a country, and I think we'll get through this. Domenico, you look at the numbers. Where are Americans on Trump, his innocence and guilt? And has this divide grown? Do you see this a change in the country because of this or no? Well, I mean, I think we're at this point in the country that's kind of unique and rare when it comes to politics, where we have this American divergence in our politics, where you see Trump able to really, you know, coalesce and insulate himself with his base. You know, not much moves the needle. This certainly is not going to do that, um, most likely. Uh, but when you look at the other side of it, independents, persuadable voters, and of course, Democrats have been pretty locked in in saying that they just don't think Trump should be president. You know, when we had our poll out this week, the NPR PBS NewsHour Marist poll, found that six in ten people said that Trump should not be president. They don't want him to be president. That included two-thirds of independents. It's pretty tough when you have 80 percent of Republicans saying that they like him, right. three-quarters of them saying that they think he should be president. How does he lose a Republican primary and how does he win a general election? I mean, those two things are really unique in American history. I want to also get to sort of the idea that Republicans at this moment are uniting around this indictment. Um, and we saw one example of that was from House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, the top Republican in the country right now. Here's what he tweeted out very soon after the news of the indictment broke. He tweeted out, Alvin Bragg, the DA, has irreparably damaged our country in an attempt to interfere with the 2024 presidential election. Talk of interfering of elections. All of this, Republicans are clearly trying to flip the accusations. Luke, what do you know about where House Republicans are going here? And is this a serious effort or is this all politics? Well, I'm not I sure mean, if you can separate those. <laughs> they, they have lined up in, in uniform fashion in support of Donald Trump. And I mean, some people are a little more vitriolic than others in how they're defending him, but there's very much agreement on the Republican side of the aisle. They need to do everything they can to support Donald Trump. It's really because that's what the base voters want. They see exactly how their voters are reacting to this news in their districts, and so they're making sure they're on the right side of that. And whether that's going to be issuing a subpoena for Alvin Bragg, I know there's discussions about doing that that are going mm -hmm. on right now, whether that's just public statements defending him at every turn, or coming up with different ways. You even heard consideration of legislation that would make it illegal to charge a former president. Uh, so they're, they're discussing all these sorts of ideas, but you can rest assured that they're 
for the most part, going to be lining up right behind Donald Trump. And to bring it back to pure politics for a minute, I mean, it's not just House Republicans, members of Congress, it's people who are running against him or expected to run against him in the Republican primary. And that's really the challenge and the line they have to walk, because to what Domenico is saying, you have these polls and you have these voters who say, I voted for Trump. I voted for, I was just in Pennsylvania interviewing dozens of them. They say, I voted for Trump. I voted for him twice. I liked what he did as president. I would be happy to vote for him again. And the tiny sliver where you can maybe wedge a few off, it's not the hardcore MAGA supporter, supporters, it's the ones who say, I voted for him. I liked him. I think this indictment is a witch hunt. But you know what? I would just rather have a candidate who's not indicted. I think that's going to be a more successful candidate. So it's a very fine line where Republicans can make an argument against him. You know, preparing for this, I wanted to show viewers something, a picture of three Republicans here. You look at Donald Trump, and then you show, let's show this picture of, there we go, Donald Trump, Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy. Who are those three? They are the only declared Republican <laughs> candidates for president. Mario, does this affect, let's say, people in Florida who might be thinking about getting in this race and whether they do get in the race, this, this sort of getting behind Donald Trump? And this well, this, this puts more pressure on Ron DeSantis, who we're <laughs> alluding to, right? Because to Ashley's point, to Domenico's point, the conundrum that the Republican Party is facing right now is the fact that this galvanizes that 30% or so of Trump, the Republican base, that's enough for Trump to skate right through a primary into a general election, that polls show that he would most likely lose, right? Another poll early, earlier this week showed that while Biden beats Trump in a rematch, Biden trails DeSantis. So DeSantis has to prove to these voters that, hey, I am Trump without the baggage, like he did two weeks ago. But you're not, but you're not hearing it, right? I mean, in fact, the only thing we're hearing is Trump repeatedly over and over and over again, just bludgeoning DeSantis, who's not even in the race yet. If you check your email inbox, I mean, you're getting stuff soft on crime, Ron DeSantis. I was watching cable news today. There was an ad from MAGA Inc. hitting Ron DeSantis. He's not even a candidate. The reason they're doing that is because they know that he's probably the only candidate who has enough of that kind of backing. And what Republican strategists told me this week, who I talked to, they said he cannot, DeSantis, continue to let these attacks just stick to him over and over again. Because any attack in politics, if it's not answered, that affects your negatives and brings your negatives up. And what the strategist said to me was, look, you might say, don't feed the beast. But what are you going to do when the beast is already feeding? One ask, oh, one ask, go ahead. As you can say, especially in a Republican primary electorate where they like Trump's fight and they like his pugnacity, they want to see that from someone like DeSantis. And I've heard, had strategists say to me, if you want to be king, at some point you're going to have to go and take the crown. Well, here's a question. You know, for a long time, sources who, in my world, who like DeSantis have not publicly come out for him, though, um, have been saying, okay, if Trump gets indicted, that's the moment. This is one indictment that Republicans see as the weakest one. Ashley, if other indictments come, let's say from the Department of Justice, let's say in Georgia, do you think that could affect the Republican race and how Republicans see former President Trump? So in two ways, this is, this is an indictment that Trump's team and even a lot of Republicans who would prefer Trump to just disappear believe is the weakest. They believe it's sort of ticky-tacky and it's hard to explain to the general public and that some of those other investigations are far stronger. Um, so there's that argument that with a, a more compelling charges might be more compelling to voters. But 
The way you, I think it would really affect things is, again, that cumulative effect. The most effective messages against Trump are just the fatigue, the exhaustion, the people don't want to wake up every morning having to explain another indictment to their 12-year-old at breakfast. And so it could be the cumulative effect rather than the actual content of, of the charges or the cases against him. Luke, why are Democrats hesitant right now about this indictment? Well, one, I do think there are some concerns about the case itself, right? You have this unique cobbling together of a misdemeanor and a felony, and it's it's kind of untested. They got around the statute of limitations on it. So I think people are, are reluctant to be too uh, ebullient about this. The other thing is, look at the posture Democrats usually take when there's something negative happening with Trump, right? Remember when Nancy Pelosi, the first impeachment, she said, this is a sad day for our country. It's a step we don't want to have to take. It's always much better when your opponent's on their heels to not be celebrating and to be taking it very seriously. Something else I think we're watching for is to see what happens in New York next week, not just in the courtroom. We noticed this tweet of someone who is planning to go to New York, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia, uh, tweeted out that she says she is going to New York next week, making a case that she's going to there again. You must, all caps, must protest the unconstitutional witch hunt, all caps. Mario Domenico, I want to ask what you all are watching for right now as New York City police officers are going on high alert. We know, I know officers of the Capitol Police are being ready in case something happens here. What are you watching for to figure out if this is a moment that gets out of control or not? What is your newsroom looking yeah, at? Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, given the terrain in New York, too, right, it's pretty uh, difficult to navigate traffic on a, a regular day, right? So <laughs> let alone uh, staging a protest there as well. But even by all accounts from Mar-a-Lago, we have somebody dispatched down there now today there weren't a whole lot of people just rallying around the outside of Mar-a-Lago as we've seen in previous years as well. So, I mean, that's where we see some of the January 6th effect happening. Well, you wonder what that means, right? I mean, if you don't see the people on the streets as Trump has called for, or Marjorie Taylor Greene is trying to amass, does that indicate anything as to Trump's political strength? Do people really take this that seriously? We did see a poll out this week from Quinnipiac where you had a majority of people saying that they thought that this uh, was not that serious of a charge, and maybe people are waiting to see what a jury does. I have to say, though, that the bar here uh, for Alvin Bragg, the district attorney in New York, is pretty high. The stakes are very high, I should say, for him, because, you know, there's a big difference between an indictment and a conviction. And you can imagine that with an indictment and Trump being acquitted, he's easily able to say that he's vindicated. I mean, he was able to do that even after the second impeachment, where a majority of senators voted for his conviction, even though that wasn't the two-thirds majority needed. So a conviction, a little bit different when it comes to a jury of his peers to claim that everyone's against him and this is a mass conspiracy. So very high stakes here. And would you say this trial could happen next spring? That's pretty interesting time frame. Um, I want to tell our viewers, too, Trump's indictment isn't the only heated topic, as we well know, in Washington. Debate over the role of guns in America is, again, rising after another deadly elementary school shooting, this time in Nashville, where a 28-year-old former student armed with an AR-15 military-style rifle killed six people, three of them nine-year-old children. Republicans in Washington responded to the tragedy by saying it's too soon to judge. President Biden admitted that he believes he's exhausted all of his executive authority to act on gun violence. But Wednesday evening, in a remarkable moment, the growing tension between the two parties boiled over into the hallways of Congress. Is not arm and teaching. We've got guns here to protect us. 
and he doesn't believe the kids should have somebody to protect them. Ashley, I want to talk to you about this first. You had an extraordinary work of journalism that you were part of this week in the Washington Post about the AR-15, the gun that divides us. I want to ask you, why is that gun so politically powerful? Because it, at this point, as we sort of say in this, and it was a huge, I should say, it was a huge series of multiple stories across all desks in the newsroom, um, but it has really become an American icon, which you saw from that video you just played. Everyone has a strong opinion about it. It's incredibly polarizing. Those opinions are incredibly different um, depending on where you live, what your belief system is, uh, whether or not you own one of these weapons. Um, but it was also, I mean, it started with a very deliberate marketing campaign by the gun manufacturers. You have to go back to the Air 15 was originally invented as a weapon of war to help our troops in Vietnam. Um, it wasn't very popular at gun shows. It was sort of would be in the back. People didn't, true gun enthusiasts didn't love it. They thought it was cheap for hunting, not really a, a sportsman's gun. Um, and then it has later been described as sort of Barbie dolls for men, although men are not the only ones, of course, who have this weapon, but because there's tremendous revenue for gun companies to make in the AR. Because if you buy a handgun, that's kind of the end of it. But you can buy an AR and then you can go back and you can customize it and you can trick it out. And so it's sort of like you get you get the Barbie, but then you can get the dream house, mm -hmm. and then you can get the outfit. Um, so this is a very deliberate uh, effort that has now become sort of just embedded in the fabric of our nation and how people define who they are and who they aren't. Dominica, what's the polling on guns? You know, we had a decade where there was an assault rifle ban in this country, and at that point, that idea was relatively popular. Now the country is split. Who, who moved? Who moved in that? Obviously, people moved more toward gun rights, I suppose? What well, happened? Well, we're seeing a couple things happen here when it comes to guns, which is really interesting. I mean, you're seeing more people than ever before be supportive of gun restrictions than we've seen in the past. At the same time, Republicans are headed in the other direction. So when you look at, for example, we did a big poll last year. We talked to gun owners. Uh, we talked to uh, people writ large on this. And 60-plus percent of people were in favor of an AR-15 ban. The difference was only 40-something percent of independents and 25 percent of Republicans were in favor of that ban. The, it was really kind of skewed by just how many Democrats were so in favor of an AR-15 ban. And when you have that kind of split, and when you have these districts in the country that are, you know, I'd say maybe three dozen now that are truly competitive right. districts, when you have that be the case, I mean, when I was covering politics starting out in 2006, I had 129 competitive <laughs> districts or potentially competitive <laughs> districts on my list. Now it's only in the 30s. When you have that, you have way more orthodoxy. And, mm -hmm. and for Republicans, that really means guns as one of the principal issues that they stand firm on. Mari, what about Democrats? We know that the Democratic base wants you know, more gun legislation. They want more action from President Biden. But he he said he's run out of I, things he can do, but I also don't hear him stumping on this. Is there a reason that we don't hear more from the president on this? No, I mean, he's we saw him in Monterey Park, California, two weeks ago, right? Two weeks before this, this latest incident. He's said that he's issued a steady flow of executive orders. And earlier this week, he said, you know what? There's nothing else he can do uh, you know, beyond an executive order. He has to figure out a way to get something done in Congress. And as we just outlined, it's a fraught situation. He pointed to the big money that's involved there, right? And so we, we ran some numbers that showed that the NRA, for example, spent $16 million in last year's midterms, donated to 257 GOP candidates alone. That's a 
quite a big number, and then spent another $8 million on lobbying as well. So that's the big money that Democrats and the and Biden administration are up against. Inevitably, this brings us back to so our home turf, Congress, Luke. I think a lot of Americans just don't understand why Congress is sort of shouting in the hallways but not actually having real conversation here about it. What, what's your understanding? Well, the, I mean, the parties are just so divided on this yeah. issue. You know, even if you could get some sort of uh, consensus around some very minor changes, it's really hard to get the votes to do that with the House now in the hands of Republicans. And you would still need nine Republicans in the Senate, too, to join whatever proposal. And the party has just really embrace the AR-15. I don't know other, any other way to say it. I mean, it's very common for Republicans to pose for Christmas pictures with all their families holding AR-15s. It's like every time there's talk of a ban, sales of the AR-15 go through the roof. I think it's more than one in 10 Republicans owns an AR-15, so we're literally talking about taking the guns from their houses when you start taking about, talking about an assault weapons ban. Although a ban usually is moving forward. I don't think there's a, any proposals for... Co yeah, yeah, correct, but that's the way they view it, and it, right. it activates them. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and so, yes, the, the parties are so divided, and they did pass some legislation last Congress, and almost all the Republican senators you talked to about this in the hall say, we want to see that implemented first right. before we try to pass anything else. Actually, the NRA has come up here. Mario brought it up. It's, it's not just the NRA anymore, is it, or is it, that's motivating this? No, it's not uh, It's not at all. Mario uh, is right about all of those figures, but the NRA in general is, is far weakened, far less of a player than it was a decade ago. But as Domenico was saying, what it really comes down to is this is key orthodoxy in the Republican base. And so it doesn't matter that something might be popular across the nation. These Republicans just feel that they cannot take, forget about a tough vote, they can barely take any vote for what a lot of people would term uh, common sense gun restrictions and, and win their party's primary. It comes down to fear from the base. And it's also become a, a political symbol, right? I mean, Luke was describing the pictures we see of the children with ARs on Christmas cards, but it's also sort of just that symbol. Members of Congress are wearing that as lapel pins. They right. used to all wear flags. Um, right. Now they've added ARs. It's a way right. to to own the libs. It's the closest way to sort of instantly show your political identity. I'll say this though, politics can be like an aircraft carrier. And sometimes you don't even notice you're on the aircraft carrier while, you don't even notice it's turning around when you're on the aircraft carrier because it moves so slowly. And what we have seen with the NRA, but with the decline of the NRA as well, there have been pro-gun uh, restrictions groups that have stepped in, like Everytown, like the Giffords Group, and Mike Bloomberg, who's a billionaire New Yorker who ran for president, but also has a lot of money to donate to a group like Everytown, which he has funded. They've made some real differences on the statewide level, because when you have politics at the federal level being as split as it is, a lot of these fights are going to the states, and a lot of Democratic groups have kind of gotten hip to some of these strategies that Republican groups have used over the years. And you're starting to see that tide turn somewhat. And I'm going to be really interested in the next 15, 20 years where we're at then. We have just a couple minutes left, but one last question on gun issue. I wonder, is this an issue of anyone who might know something about this? Republicans just are less familiar with people being harmed by guns, and maybe Democrats are less familiar with people who own guns? Why? I mean, is it, because it seems like people who say, if you know someone who was killed by an AR-15, 
that's an issue. You don't, I don't know, just a theory? Everyone's it, it, not. Gun, gun, guns at this point have touched every single right. slice of life, right? They, mm -hmm. Parents, they have been in schools, they have been in churches, they have been in uh, predominantly black supermarkets, they have been at country music concerts in Everywhere. Las Vegas. It is hard to say that someone somehow cannot imagine a situation they're in where one of these weapons might show up. Yeah. All right, we have just about a minute left. Now, here's a question I'm excited to ask to see. We've talked about this historic time idea. I know Mario and I both agree this is a time we're lucky to be reporters. I want to ask each of you quickly, what adjectives would you choose to describe this time right now? Couple, two or three. Uh, you know, scary, uh, crazy, uh, exciting. Extraordinary, exhilarating, critical. Nice. Luke? Uh, Put you on the spot here. I don't know. Divisive and, and fraught. Hmm. I don't know if deja vu is even an adjective, and I recognize <laughs> that this is unprecedented, but it all just having covered Trump since 2015 feels so familiar, every single bit of it. I'd say incredible, important, exhausting. So we have to leave it here for now. Thank you to all of you on this great panel for joining us and sharing your reporting, and thanks to all of you for watching at home. Don't forget to watch PBS News Weekend on Saturday for a look at the FDA's decision to allow over-the-counter sale of the opioid overdose antidote Narcan. I'm Lisa Desjardins. Good night from Washington.